You're listening to Cancer Covered. So uh, you were kind enough to give me your, your phone number and I could text him and you would text me the results before we'd even meet, mm-hmm. which, you know, could have backfired. Definitely could have backfired at some point where if, if something wasn't right, but it definitely made me more calm going in. Like at least I had that night of sleep before I wasn't. Those first couple of times, I think when it came in, I'm sitting there waiting and my, my wife was- It may have been two days between the time yeah. you got the scan and the yeah. time you got the results. Yeah, which now I realize is very common. At that time, I did not. Kathy would always try to calm me down. It's fine, it'll be okay. And everything in your mind saying, no, it's not gonna be okay. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. If you're sitting next to three people in a cancer center's waiting room, it's a good bet that at least one of them is worrying about a scan result. Scans of all kinds, CTs, PET scans, MRIs, are a routine part of cancer care. And it's so common for cancer patients to worry about these results that in 2011, a writer for Time Magazine coined the word scanxiety to describe it. In this episode, we'll discuss scanxiety and how to cope with it with our special guests, Tom Becker is an oncology social worker and Abe Farley, a 14-year cancer survivor. Tom, Abe, thanks so much for being here today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Tom, tell our listeners a bit about yourself. I've been a social worker here at St. Vincent's in the Cancer Center about 30 years. Started with uh, in the hospital as a case manager and social worker doing discharge planning up on the oncology unit. Got certified as a psychotherapist. Did that here at the hospital for about 15 years. Then uh, worked at Unity Hospice for a year in the bereavement team. And then came back to Green Bay Oncology about 10 years ago. And I've been here ever since. So my pleasure being here. Glad to have you. Abe? Tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your life. I'm a 44-year-old, uh, married to my wife, Kathy, and I have a 16-year-old son, Ethan. I'm from Seymour and lived in the Green Bay area my whole life. I've worked in the construction industry, and I've had about every job from busting out concrete to pouring concrete to the CEO to whatever you can think of. So um, that's pretty much the trade I've been in my whole life and enjoy a lot of outdoor stuff and athletics and stuff with my son and family. So that's about me. A true Green Bay native. That's right. <laughs> You and I haven't seen each other in quite a long time. It's been a while. Tell our listeners how we met. Back in 2008, I, my wife told me I should go to the doctor. I had an enlarged testicle, and I did that, and I had to go through a whole bunch of um, tests, and I was worried and scared to death, and I met you right here in this building. Um, I think you squeezed me in at the last part of the day and got diagnosed with testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what you felt when you were diagnosed or the emotions that that came with that? There was a lot. The main one was having a year and a half old son. And that was the main thing on my mind. When you hear the C word, you know, you don't know if it's a death sentence. You don't know what it is. You don't know how bad it is. It was very scary until we could talk and figure out where we were at and come up with a plan. Obviously, you feel better. It's not great, but you feel a lot better. And you you know you have something to shoot for. My biggest thing was um, when you don't know. You know, we're talking about scans. You don't know what the scans show. And I know you and I, you have given me your cell phone number so I could text you to see how my scans were. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't lose my mind in between waiting for sometimes a week or a couple of days. You would usually text me and tell me mm-hmm. they were good or whatever, but mm-hmm. talk or whatever the deal was. So. Mm-hmm. so testicular cancer is one of the most curable cancers that exists in medicine. That's not to say that it's an easy thing to hear or an easy thing to go through because that 
cure is achieved often through some fairly rigorous treatment. Tell our listeners a bit about what you went through. We decided to go with chemotherapy. I know I met with a radiation person and we went through all that. And I actually talked to Dr. Grotolution because he was my neighbor at the time. I bothered him. And I, I said, uh, you know, what do I do here? You know, I, you know, obviously chemotherapy, I was a little worried of because it could be harder in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know enough about radiation, but we went through it all. And there was one or two markers of mine that had, he told me that were, you know, chemo should cover it all. Radiation, if, if it is that type, might not. So you have to go back to do the chemo. So we went through the chemo. I just said, you're young. I think you told me that you're young, healthy. Just go through the chemo and be done with it. And uh, I went that route and I'm glad I did. What was your treatment experience like? Do you remember? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, not not as much as I used to, but I think you told me too, you know, uh, especially being a young man coming in here, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of people that are older. And so that's tough seeing those people because, you know, they're going through a lot. I had five days on, two weeks off, five days on. I think we did four sessions. We did. The first day was a long day because I think I got my port put in the same day and you start the treatments. That was a really long day. And the first week, it, it was tiring, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Maybe, And then the second time, I thought it was no problem, and I want to kick my butt a little bit. So I had to behave more, take my rest, and not try to – because I worked through the whole thing, but, you know, I, I rested more and I, I behaved. But, yeah, it's it's, it's a tough. It's uh, There's a lot of stuff that happens to your body that you're not used to. Especially as a young man. Yeah. You know, you're in your 30s when you were diagnosed. Yeah, 29. 29. 29. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, yeah. So it, you don't know. You're a young kid. You don't know. You know, I'm 44. I still don't know that everything people go through, but it, it definitely was a, a lot of change and, and you didn't know what was going to happen next. So that kind of made you a little weary. You know? Sure. And I know it's been 13 plus years uh, and memories fade, but do you have a recollection of what your mindset was like once you finished treatment? Was there a change at, at, at that point? What, what was that? What was on your mind at that time, if you can recall? Yeah, for the for the first while, I was relieved and didn't want to think about it. You know, I wanted to just kind of put it in the rearview mirror. But for the first, I think it's two or three years, you have to come back in every three months. That's right. And part of the management of testicular cancer, for our listeners that may not be familiar, is testicular cancer is highly curable, both upfront and even in the relapse setting. That's very different than than a lot of other cancers. So unlike we do for other types of cancers where we give adjuvant chemotherapy, uh, patients with testicular cancer go through a fairly rigorous, what we call surveillance process, <laughs> blood tests and very scans. frequent scans. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's every few months for the first couple of years yeah. because early detection of relapse is still highly curable and it's important to catch it early. Yep. And we did that. And mm-hmm. it's weird. You, you think oh, three months you have and it's like it happens instantly. So you get done with your scan, you feel good. And it seems like the next day you're almost like, oh, man. I got a scan coming up again. I got to make sure I'm all good. And then every little thing that happens in your day-to-day life, like, well, is that, could that be something or could that be something? Just the regular aches and pains yeah. happen as our bodies yeah. Know, yep. and are it's busy like, working construction and playing yeah. baseball with our kids. Yep. kids and- yep. Your mind is very strong and it can be good and bad strong, you know, and that took a little bit. That was almost just as difficult as the chemo because in the chemo, you're in it. You just know you're in the grind and you got to get through it and- your mindset is, I have this amount of time. We're going to get through it. I was lucky to have a great wife that did everything for me and uh, support staff. So I was very fortunate there. But after that, you know, it's, you know, not that my wife and stuff wasn't there. You're just more not in that grind of the chemo. So you're just living your life. And there's a lot of stuff just in your mind that you just kind of keep in there and you worry and you know, young kids. So that just adds to that, you know. About when 
on your scan cycle, whatever whatever cycle that was. Do you remember when the the worry and the prominence of the upcoming scan in your mind would start? How far in advance, generally? Um, I would say early on. You know, those first couple of years, it was uh, it was for sure two weeks ahead of time, mm-hmm. maybe three. Mm-hmm. You know, where you'd start thinking about it, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's coming up. As it got a little bit farther, when you know, six months, and then once a year. I mean, I guess it would still be that two or three weeks ahead mm-hmm. of time. It was worse early because you just got done and you only had three months. So, I mean, it's only like about a month, a mm-hmm. month of relief and you're already starting to kind of. Did it get more intense with time? I mean, so the periods of worry leading up to a scan got less frequent as time went, but was it more or less intense or was it always about the same all the way through? It wasn't the same all the way through because I know the last two or three years I, I was feeling pretty confident of, I didn't feel quite as bad going into them. I worried, but I was like, I think I'm okay. Before that, I was always had a, I mean, a bad day at work or, you know, <laughs> something happened at home with, with Ethan that made me upset. You know, it was like, oh, I feel like I'm going to have cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's uh, it's just your mind playing tricks on you and it's tough. So when you got the scan results and they were good, would the worry and anxiety go back to normal immediately? When we'd sit in the room together and you come in and say, yeah, we're all good. And you hit me on the head with the sheets. You always do that. I had a, a sense of relief right away, but it was a day or two before like my my energy kind of came back because I think I was kind of just exhausted mentally of worrying about it. Not that I was worried those next two days, but I was just kind of out of it and just probably not as happy as I should have been. But, you know, it got better after a day or two. So there was like a hangover yeah, from the worry good, almost. Yes, hangover. I'd call that a hangover mm-hmm. Yeah, where you're just kind of, man, you're just exhausted mentally of thinking about it. I didn't know that. You and I have never talked about no. that. I, no. Because I, I, you know, I, you know, doctors are oblivious. We come in, we do our job, we say the thing, oh, it's going to be great, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're so oblivious so much to even the aftermath and, and how people are living with it. That, yeah. That's something. Tom, yeah. Is that something that you've ever heard? Uh, Tom, have you heard similar stories from other patients? I have. And the gape hit it at the head, what it was like when it was first diagnosed and, and the, the impact of that. And I think oftentimes when people are going through follow up scans, it, in some ways, a repeat or a starting back over again of the initial scan you may have gone through and, and the trauma that that created and the the fear of hearing cancer and, oh boy, here we go again. And a real loss of control, I think, so much that it, you trust and you hope that the treatments have done this job, but every scan you have is going through it again and, and here we go again. And, and is it um, the emotional and psychological impact of that? And, and as much as you want to believe things are working out and, and you're doing well, there's something in your in your mind that's saying what if or every little ache and pain too, but so often it's a not really PTSD type, but reliving that that initial mm-hmm. cancer diagnosis and what you went through. There is some literature that suggests that many cancer survivors actually do develop full blown PTSD. It seems to correlate with the intensity of the treatment, things like stem cell transplant or Induction therapy for acute leukemia, particularly if it's complicated, of course, patients can actually develop full-blown PTSD, but there's a lot of things short of PTSD, hangover after mm-hmm. scans and spending, you know, time rumination, uh, depression as a result, adjustment disorder with a depressed mood. You know, they're short of PTSD. They're still very impactful uh, to patients' lives, and they're very real. Actually, before I got diagnosed, I had anxiety, which is a weird thing. I, I never was in- anxious till around when my son was born, you know, like, there must be more pressure on me to succeed and all that and then when we went through cancer like that went away for the most part like i was more worried about that and i'm telling you what it wasn't much long after you and i talked about this that my anxiety came back like double for a while there and Mm -hmm. did a little medication for a while there and it got it back down to normal levels that i could control but yeah that one hit me pretty hard after that because i know you kind of told me to watch out for it i'm like "Ah, i think i'm okay and 
couple of weeks later, I'm like, oh man, here it is. Here it is. And like so much of what you explain, Abe, is very normal, very understandable. As guys, we're, we're geared to fix things and we got to take care of our families and we got to make things all better. And cancer hits at the heart of our inability to control everything in our lives and your, your efforts to, to recognize what that's been for you and, and what helps you be able to get through those moments. And yeah. support from your family is key. Thankfully, they were there for you. This sounds pretty weird, but I was I was more concerned about making sure Kathy and Ethan were going to be okay. I want to be there for them more than it sounds bad, but more for, you know, not myself really. I just like, I can't let my son grow up without a dad. Can't let my new wife not have a husband. You know, that bothered me more than just if something just happened to me. I think you're describing the traditional male breadwinner provider role, however valid or invalid that may be. And obviously there's different ways to approach life and, you know, sharing the burdens of child rearing. But a lot of us were brought up with a real strong idea that a man has a very specific role and that providing is important and that whatever emotions you're having, it's best, you know, you you muscle through those or you squash them down and don't acknowledge that they're there. They're just going to get in the way of you doing your job, right? I mean, Typical I did male. that sound familiar to you. That's how I was brought up. <laughs> Typical male. Yeah, big no. boys don't cry. Big boys That's don't right. worry. Keep, keep, it up and... keep it inside. <laughs> That's right. And of course, it's all completely inaccurate. But right. what it does do is when challenges like this come and emotional challenges like this come, they're so common, I would dare say they're normal when you're dealing with a cancer diagnosis. We're very ill-equipped to handle them. Correct. I tell you, I went and saw my normal doctor, Dr. Evan, since I was a sophomore freshman in high school, they were my people. And I don't know what hit me. I, I don't do this ever. I walked in there to just get a checkup and her and I were uh, doing the weight and eye test in the room and I just broke down like I never did before. And she was like a, you know, kind of a mother figure to me. She was older. She's retired now, but she was great. But it felt good to do that, you know, because I was kept a lot in and I didn't know when I could probably do that and not look weak to anybody. Mm-hmm. So, but you're right. Yeah, it's it's tough when guys are like that and you have to go through that. We're not equipped really mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you, wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. Abe, did you develop any rituals, habits, or coping strategies for these recurrent stresses as they started to come? I did. I bothered you a lot. (laughs) It was never a bother. (laughs) Well, I I remember right away, I'll, I'll just start back how it all started. I remember we met. And we're all good. And I'm going home and I have a, 
it might have been the second time we met, whatever it was, mm-hmm. before we started chemo. And the nurse called me and, hey, we have to set up a, a PET scan. I said, what the hell is a PET scan? And why? I just left him. Why wouldn't he say anything? You're right. <laughs> no. So I think right after that, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm one of those guys that need to get told what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I know other people have to wait. I don't want to be put in front of the line. But I mean, like, my men- mentally, it just doesn't allow me to wait. I, I'll lose my mind. So uh, you were kind enough to give me your, your phone number and I could text him and you would text me the results before we'd even meet, mm-hmm. which, you know, could have backfired. Definitely could have backfired at some point where if, if something wasn't right, but it definitely made me more calm going in. Like at least I had that night of sleep before I wasn't those first couple of times. I think when it came in, I'm sitting there waiting and my, my wife was. It may have been two days between the time yeah. you got the scan and the yeah. time you got the results. Yeah. Which now I realize is very common at that time. I did not. Kathy would always try to calm me down. It's fine. It'll be okay. And everything in your mind saying, no, it's not going to be okay. That was a big one. As far as any other um, strategies, I would really try to forget about it as much as I could. You, you know, you can't, but I, I would, I try to put away. I try to tell myself, I'd talk to myself a lot. Everything will be okay. I'd focus more on work. I'd focus more on do something, you know, mm-hmm. keep my mind off of it. I don't know if there's really too much you can do to take the stress off. Probably not. No. Was it hard to sleep the night before you'd get yes. results? Okay. Yeah. Because that's the time that you really there's nothing to do to distract you. You're I think that's you in your brain sitting there. I think that's why you have the hangover after because I had a night or two of hardly hardly sleeping and you're worrying about it. So, you know, it, sometimes you hear that in sports where the people win something, but they're so exhausted they can hardly celebrate that next day. They're just more exhausted and bodies beaten, mind mentally exhausted where it takes them a day to, you know, enjoy it. Tom, you know more about mental health than I do, but that is checking a lot of boxes for medically significant anxiety. Right, right. And First of all, recognizing what the anxiety does, that that's a real thing for you. And, and how does it impact your day-to-day life, your relationships with your family, friends, coworkers, your ability to try to stay busy, share this with your family, what they can do to help ease your anxiety, try to do whatever self-care strategy you can do to help take care of those basic needs, eating, sleeping, mm-hmm. exercise. Stay busy. Right, stay busy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You worked it out with Dr. Winkler to work out how am I going to find out the results. And, and that's a key part. You took control of things that you can control and then versus just sitting back and letting things take its course, however it might happen. So an active part in, in what you need to do to take care of getting the results as soon as you can. And even within that, what you can't control, yep. what do you do to let go of that? It really is one of the under-recognized burdens that cancer survivors live with, and it is periods of worry. What you're describing is so common that at some level, honestly, I assume almost everybody who has recurrent scans or is living with cancer, even with a good prognosis, experiences it to a significant degree. And yet still, it ticks so many of the boxes for medically significant anxiety, uh, even sometimes drifting into adjustment disorder. It's a very under-recognized burden. You and I improvised a way to get the information into your hands quicker than technology allowed at the time. Now, of course, with patient portals, people, as soon as the radiology reports are read, patients can look at their results, which can be good and bad. Yeah. And I, I'm a big proponent of transparency. The information belongs to patients, not, not to us. Mm-hmm. And patients should and can have access to any and all of it. The challenge is they often need help interpreting it. So you don't know what's bad and what's good just by reading the bottom line of the report because there's a lot of techno babble in there and it's hard to interpret. You have showed me those and I would have no idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the only one I would have had a question on, I don't, do you remember when we thought it came back? With the sarcoid? Yes. I do. I yeah. remember it well. Yeah. And uh, he comes in there and he said, uh, this is not what I want to see. Oh, boy, we got, we're going to send you to Indiana or. Lance Armstrong, I think, went. Right. 
Um, you know, this is back wild. I'm sure a lot of stuff has changed, but um, not really. No. Sarcoid still is. Uh, I meant where they do the treatments for all that stuff. Uh, not really. Oh, really? Oh, that's there too. Wow. But I remember that. And then uh, I don't know how you pull those strings to do a biopsy like the next day. And I remember they woke me up out of that. It was the next night that I think the guy did it on a favor for you, which I always appreciated, and uh, told me everything was good. And I remember talking to you right after that, and you're like, you know, I went home that night, and I was reading through, and your numbers were, you know, they were normal. But Those I were the tumor markers, yeah. which, which would have generally been elevated had you, in fact, relapsed. Right. So, And I and I, I respected the fact, like, I didn't call you because I didn't want to get your hopes up again. Let's just go through that. So, But that was a weird one because I was not nervous about that. I don't know why. That's interesting. When you told me that, I was a little depressed. Like, oh, man, you know, oh, boy, this is going to suck. But for some reason, like that night, and I even went to work the next day, like, I didn't seem scared. That's interesting. I, it is. It was, that was a really weird one because I'm like, oh, man, this is going to tear me up. And uh, I felt pretty confident in that. Because even when I left there, I'm like, man, I'm, I was uh, working out a lot. I was running around our block. And I'm like, I, and you're like, you shouldn't even be able to walk up here. I'm like, man, just something. I don't, you know, I don't know what it was. I just... That was like the one where I should have been freaking out, where I freaked out a thousand times less than that. I, I was pretty calm through that one. Tom, any insights? I think your insight into what, what you experience is very real, very great to hear, I think, for men in particular, who oftentimes are pretty downplay their emotions, and, and you're very open with it, and then acknowledge what that did to you and, and how, how you coped with your anxiety. And um, I, I think... Um, also, the trust you had with Dr. Winkler is key there, I think, to have him there to share your, your fears and your worries. Um, you know, this day and age where Google and Internet is out there and people tend to look on the Internet for everything and, and be cautious of that and use your healthcare providers as a key part of where you get information. We talked about that, and I, I would not go on the Internet to look. That would that would have scared me too much. Sure. And and, and I tell people all the time when they, uh, a lot of my friends or people I know that have had gone through cancer are going through and ask me some stuff. I'm like, you know, no matter what, you got to find someone that you like and trust. Right. Because if you don't trust them or you don't like them or they don't give you the time, you got to find somebody else. You're never going to be able to rest or stop no. second guessing. No. You did, I mean, doesn't matter who they are. You just have to find someone that you can talk to and, and, and feel good. To recap what the uh, situation you're describing uh, is uh, from a medical lens. So PET scans will highlight areas of intense metabolic activity, but they don't distinguish between benign inflammation and metabolic activity due to cancer. I think a lot of people have the idea that a PET scan is a cancer-specific scan, and, and it isn't. It's useful, but it only narrows the, the possibilities so far. What Abe experienced was a brand new diagnosis of a benign inflammatory disorder called sarcoid or uh, sarcoidosis that causes the lymph nodes in the middle of the chest to be enlarged and very FDG avid or bright on PET scan is a technical term. The problem was, or the reason we were so worried is you've never had that diagnosis before. It's often asymptomatic, but it looked for all the world like a full-blown relapse. And mm -hmm. uh, it was a it was a bad couple of days there for yep. a bit. In the back of your mind as a cancer doctor, you're hoping, please be sarcoid, please be sarcoid, please be sarcoid. <laughs> I was reluctant to even bring it up as a possibility because I thought I, I can't dangle that out there, but right. you know, because that might be misleading because it it probably is a recurrence. I thought you handled it well. Well, that's kind of you to say. Well, I'm you know, glad I got it right once. I, I, I thought about that after that. I thought about how I would handle it if I were you. I actually thought about that a lot back in those days. How would I handle a patient like me 
And I don't know if I would have handled it the same way, but I, I'm glad you handled it the way you did. I'm glad but, it worked out. Yeah. I also wonder this, like, what is I always expecting an answer like that? And maybe that's why it wasn't out of my mind for the next day or two. You know, it was every time I went in there, I was expecting to hear that. And then when it was, I wasn't surprised about it. So you psych yourself up hoping that that's going to be the case. And, and Yeah, I, that's what that, that's the only thing I came to on that one. That, that, I thought about that for a while after, like, why was I not? I'm not a mystical guy, and I've seen people be terribly, terribly sick and have absolutely no clue about it. But I've also seen times like what you're describing, where you have every reason to be worried and patients have a sense of calm. And it's almost like at some level, somehow they know something I don't have an explanation for it, but I think that's as good an explanation as any A, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put it down to your correct intuition. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So A, the routine surveillance for relapse with testicular cancer pretty much stops after 10 years because the risk of relapse drops off so dramatically that it's really not worth continuing according to, to most experts. And uh, that's part of the reason why it's been a few years since you and I saw each other. Correct. Tell us about your life now. Well, the last uh, four or five years, it's been a lot of baseball diamonds in the summer and spring, yeah. uh, football fields in the fall, hunting in the fall with my son, and actually in the gym for wrestling through the wintertime. So it's uh, it's been a lot of that. You know, I, like I said, Ethan's 16 now, so that's the the last five years was a really big years for the kids to do that stuff, and he enjoyed it. So my wife and I and the rest of the family love to go watch him, so we did a lot of that. And uh, now that he's getting to the other end, he's still in it, but I mean, it's not as much time on our end. He has his license and we don't have to <laughs> pick up and bring everywhere we go. Um, now, Kathy and I are starting to learn to enjoy some time together and just, you know, hanging out and doing stuff around the house and seeing some friends that we don't see as much anymore. Work. I still have to work. <laughs> hearing that story and hearing that part of the rest of your life is the reason I and Dr. Gretelution and Tom and everybody who works in cancer healthcare does what they do because this is this is always what we're hoping to get to, and uh, it, it does me a, a lot of good to hear that. Besides all of those things, uh, on at least a few occasions, you've also been a mentor to other cancer survivors. I understand. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know where the numbers on cancer are in the last twenty years, or I don't know if they got more or less. I have no idea, but. Just in the people I seem to know, it seems like, man, every time I turn around, someone else is getting diagnosed with cancer. And it's it's something weird all the time. It's not heard of a lot. It's just some weird cancers. And it, it shakes me up a little bit because I'm like, oh, man, I don't know how people are doing that. I had mine when I was young, you know, 29, 30. And, and so a lot of my friends obviously wouldn't have had it at that point. So, But now people are or someone close to them. So I put a lot of phone calls and, and uh, people ask me what to expect or what to uh, what they need to do and like I said, we talked about before, I mean, you need to find a doctor in the whole facility that can take care of you guys, you know, and you can trust them and you can talk to them and you don't just feel like you're there and in and out. So that seems to have worked well because uh, some people have switched doctors. Some people have switched because they just weren't getting what they thought they were getting. So I'm glad to help out that way, you know, because, you know, it's miserable. You see it every day. There's good stories about it, but I mean, cancer is not fun. No, no, there's, there's nothing fun about it. Nope. This is why I agreed to do this. I, when you asked me, I was thrilled because this would have been something that I probably to listen to before I did mine or when I was going through mine just to, I don't know if you tell your patients to listen to this stuff. I think a lot of that would help just hearing people go through this stuff or what they did. So that's why I wanted to, to do it. What advice do you have for cancer survivors who are facing scans or who might be dealing with scan anxiety themselves? You really need to keep yourself busy. You really need to just tell yourself everything will be okay. 
talk to, I talk to myself a lot. My, my grandma told me that she was a 50 or 60 year old cancer survivor before she passed away. And she goes, I learned to talk to myself a lot and, and answer myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did a lot of that. I did a lot of um, just trying to clear my head and, and not let it bother me. It's going to bother people. It's it's going to do it. There's not, I told people there's nothing you're, you're going to be able to do to get that out of you totally. But you just, the more you can talk to yourself, the more you can try to think of good things and keep yourself busy. Because you, you have to go through the scans. You have to go through that. So you, you might as well make the best of what you can. Hey, thanks so much for coming out and talking with us. It's an absolute pleasure to see you again. <laughs> Tom, thank you as well. It was very good. I mean, Tom, great to meet you. And Mitch, it's always been fantastic. And I just want to say before we're done that the the people and the nurses that I hear are so good. I mean, I, I when I was going through chemo, I felt, you know, I actually wasn't even mad coming in here because you felt secure here. I mean, all the nurses, all the doctors, you guys were great. My wife, they treated my wife great. So keep that up. We'll do our best. Thank you so much for that. And I think coming in, sharing your story with us today is, says a lot as far as your willingness to help others. And, and that can be very therapeutic and helpful to oh, yeah. others out there probably hearing the same thing and saying, well, I guess I'm not the only one. And, and whether it be anxiety or just the struggles you may have had. And, and well, That's a good point. I think sometimes you do feel lonely. It's not like the cold where people get the cold. And you can talk about having the flu. Right. And A, for what it's worth, I think the story you told here today will help people. Great. Well, that's great to hear. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. 